Well, if you have been worshiping with us regularly through this season of Lent, you know that we have been doing a sermon series entitled Fulfilled. It's where we are looking at the feasts and festivals of celebration that God ordained for his people, the Israelites, to observe in the Old Testament. These feasts and festivals that remember, reminded them of the things that God had done for them in the past and encouraged them as they continued on their journey with him as his people, seeing most importantly how those feasts and festivals not only pointed to Jesus Christ, but were fulfilled completely in him. If you follow very closely in what we've been doing, you will notice that actually we're jumping over once again one of the feasts and festivals uh, in the order of the way things were observed and the order in which they occur in the text of Leviticus 23. After the Feast of Trumpets, which we looked at last week, came the Day of Atonement. The themes of the Day of Atonement and with the one that we're going to look at fit better with Good Friday and uh, this for this Sunday. So we're going to leapfrog the Day of Atonement for right now and look at that in this coming uh, Friday. But today, we're then going to be looking at the Feast of Tabernacles or also as translated in text, the Feast of Booths, something along the lines of a, a tent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about some of the most enjoyable meals that I've ever eaten, some of the greatest and, and most refreshing showers that I've ever taken, some of the most restful nights I've ever had, they have often come after a time of camping. Now, to be abundantly clear to this community, when I talk about camping, I mean the stay inside of a tent, sleep in a sleeping bag, eat food cooked over a fire, out on a picnic table, use only the public bathrooms or no bathrooms at all, and uh, those kind of camping. Not the pull up your camper to some place in the woods and just park it there for a few days camping. However... Even if that is your definition of what camping is, there is a certain extent that after you, you step away from the comforts of home for a little while, that when you return to them, you appreciate them that much more. That there is a certain sense that after you've, you've gone into the temporary, there's a wonderful joy in sleeping in your bed and going into your shower, eating at your dinner table, staying in the same place all of the time, and being home. What a wonderful place that is. Well, the Feast of Tabernacles, this Feast of Booths, really plays off of that idea. And in order to present this feast this morning, what we're going to do is instead of just looking at it, I'm going to look at three different biblical texts that look at this feast in, in three different ways. How it was originally ordained to be observed, how Jesus fulfilled it, and what some of these messages mean to us today. Uh, to do that, we're going to look at those texts Individually, I'm going to say something and then we're going to read another text and move on. So let's start with our normal texts from Leviticus 23. By the way, uh, as always, the words can be found in your Bibles. They'll be on the screen behind me or they are fully printed out on an insert in your bulletin. However you find easiest to follow along, I encourage you to do so. But for this morning, let's start by looking at Leviticus 23. 
and I will read 33 through the end of the chapter. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. And then somewhat as a summary, he says, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vows offer, vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. And then going back to the Feast of Booths, it says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the Feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and Bows of, of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute for th forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it on, in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. I know that I've, I've brought this up before, but oftentimes when people are making profession of faith, or I'm just talking about people's journeys of faith in general, I will ask them, you know, tell me about a time when God was especially real to you, when you knew without a doubt at all that God was who he said he was and his presence in your life was so very tangible. And more often than not, the stories of, that answer that question that follow typically are stories of times of struggle or hardship or suffering. That people reflect upon times in their life when they truly needed God in some way. When the, the pleasures of life had been stripped away, when things were hard on them, and they turned to God for his blessing, and it was in those moments when God showed up. When God revealed himself in a new way to them as an individual, and in return, they, they poured out their hearts to God in faith, trusting in him. Well, as a community and as a nation... For Israel, obviously, slavery in Egypt was a terrible time, a time of great struggle and oppression. 
But once they were freed from that time in slavery through the ten plagues and and sent on their way, they went on to another journey, which became a whole other time of struggle and hardship and difficulty as they made their way through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. It was so bad that some of those very same people that had experienced slavery in Egypt complained to Moses and said, why did you take us out? We should have stayed back in Egypt and died there. We're just going to die out here instead. And they wanted to go back. That's how hard it was. And without a doubt, the wandering through the wilderness was a time when the Israelites absolutely needed God. Without the provision, without his direction and the guidance that God offered them, they would have very quickly died of thirst or starvation. And on a daily basis then, they needed to cling to God in order to be sustained along the way. And God did just that. When they were thirsty, he directed them to find places where they could drink of water that would provide for them. Each day when they awoke, there was miraculous food available for them found on the ground in the form of manna. Stuff that they could feed their bodies with which would allow them to continue on this journey. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a remembrance of that time. Of that time of a difficult journey where God provided for them. As a part of this feast then, as we saw, they were called to leave their homes for a week. To go and live in a tabernacle or or a booth, a, a tent for that week. Uh, just like the people lived uh, in during the time of wandering. It was a reminder to the people that when they had needed God the very most, God had provided. He carried them along the way and on the journey until they made it to their promised land. And, and as a quick initial application point, let me just suggest that yes, when we think about things that are important and worthy of remembering, of celebrating in, in historic moments, some of those things should be the victories that have been won, the, the joyous occasions that have taken place in our lives. But we should also remember the more difficult journeys that God carried us through. And it is important to cling to those, to remember those, and even celebrate those to a certain extent as well. Now, while Sloan reminded all of us, living outside for a week doesn't sound super appealing to a whole lot of people. The reality was, this was one of the feasts that the people of Israel looked forward to the most. This was a a time of true joy and a time of great celebration. It actually is the feast most mentioned in, uh, in throughout the whole Bible. It was something that they anticipated and loved. And, And some of that was because of the meaning and practices associated with this feast. Not only did this feast remember the wanderings in the desert and how God provided for them back then, but it was a a celebration and a search for God's ongoing provision. 
There was a historical memory of their time of wandering in the wilderness, but with a lot of these other feasts, it got tied into some of their agricultural lifestyle as well. So this feast, like the Feast of Trumpets, was a feast that took place in the fall. As it says in verse 39, the feast took place when you have gathered in the produce of the land. And so it was a feast of the harvest. It was a feast celebrating that once again, God had provided with them with with food to eat for another year. And as such, it was a year of celebration, but it was also at this time of year an opportunity to begin to look forward and to pray that as they entered into the winter season that God would once again provide for them the water that they needed for their crops in the form of rain for that coming season in the future. Because of that, in addition to living in booths for a week, there was a couple of daily ceremonies that were done that celebrated or remembered these things. Uh, first of all, there was the daily water ceremony. So each day throughout the week, the priest would go out and he would take a pitcher and he would put it into the pool of Siloam and he would carry that pitcher through the water gate, this is where it got its name, into the temple. And as the people gathered and celebrated and worshipped and sang songs, he would pour that water out on the altar. And that while he did that, the people would quote and and sing the song that we sang for our, our call to worship, actually, from Psalm 118, verse 25, where it said, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And in verse 40 of our text, it mentions branches that had to be brought to the feast. And when Jewish scholars read through that, they were a little bit divided. Some of them thought that those branches were the ones that were supposed to be brought and used to build their temporary houses, their their booths or their tabernacles that they would stay in for that week. Others, however, thought that they had to bring the branches and use them in their worship. So that when they were doing these ceremonies, they would wave those branches. And in the end, they decided that both were probably true. And so they did both. They built their homes, their booths with these branches. But also, especially during this water ceremony, they would wave those branches. And they would worship God as they sang the songs of the Psalms. uh, Celebrating a God for his provision God for his sustaining power and God for the victories that he had given to them and would in the future. Not only did they do the water ceremony every day, but each day there was also this beautiful light ceremony. Every night as the sun set, the priest would go and light these enormous menorahs using their old robes as fuel and it would light up the whole entire city. And it was a reminder to the people of God's Shekinah glory coming down onto that temple. Saying that this is where he would dwell with them and he would be their God always among them. Blessing them and guiding them. And that was another wonderful part of the celebration. And an ongoing reminder of his presence among his people. And so when you put that all together again, this whole feast is a celebration of the fact that God was a provider. 
that God did not abandon them in their wandering in the deserts, but every day he sustained them and he carried them on this journey that was a great trial. God brought them every single step along the way. His presence was there. And specifically, he had given them to them water and his presence as a daily part of their lives. So with that as the background now, let's see how Jesus fulfills this. And we're going to look specifically at a text that talks about it. This time, turn with me to John chapter 7, where we will be looking at verses 37 through 44. John 7, verse 37 through 44. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to be pretty brief in my addressing of this section. If for no other reason, once we finish with this series on Lent, we're going to return to our sermon series on the Gospel of John. And so we'll be looking at this text in more depth in just a couple of weeks in the future. But... Uh, Let me start by identifying the fact that when it says in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, we learn specifically in verse 2 of John chapter 7 that the feast they are referring to is this feast of tabernacles. And through historical research, we know that the things I was talking about, about the water ceremony and the light ceremony, those were things that were a part of this celebration for at least a hundred years before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. And on the last day of the ceremony, uh, instead of the priest walking that pitcher around the altar just one time, they would walk that pitcher of water around the altar seven times and pour it out. It was a greater anticipation. The text refers to it as the last great day of the feast. And so... Right around the time when the people would have been celebrating that water ceremony and singing Psalm 118 verse 25 about God's saving and provision and praying for God's presence and provision, Jesus stands up in the temple and he cries out, interrupting everything, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And in doing that, in interrupting this feast, what Jesus is doing is saying, all of this feast was pointing to me. And if you want what this feast was talking about, then look to me. And that is where you will find it. First of all, then, even if it wasn't Palm Sunday today, there would be parallels that I would have drawn out to Palm Sunday. But because it is Palm Sunday, you can't help but recognize the fact that while they were celebrating this, waving the palm branches, singing from Psalm 118, verse 25, those people started to recognize and, and celebrate that year after year, recognizing that the great victory that they were anticipating was not just God's ongoing provision, but the promise that would come one day through a Messiah. Which is why later on in his life, when Jesus returned to the temple, and people were excited about who he was, and thinking that indeed, as the text says, that he may be the Christ, that the people took up palm branches, and they waved them, and they celebrated the next verse of that chapter, Psalm 118, verse 26, by shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they waved the palm branches in the same way that they did with this feast. They actually saw and recognized that the true victory that they were longing for would come through Jesus Christ. And in the very next chapter in John 8, Jesus will also claim to be the light of the world. That, that guidance, that presence of God among them. Highlighting and reflecting the, the light ceremony as well. But what is more, again, thinking about the meaning behind the ceremony and this feast. While wandering in the desert, the people's greatest need was water, direction, and food. They would have not been able to make the journey without God providing those things for them. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one who is here to meet your greatest need. I am the one who has come to provide for you all of those things. He would do that by offering himself as a sacrifice. Of giving of himself so that your sins, your greatest need, your greatest problem in life could be covered over through his blood. And you could be forgiven of those sins. And what is more, when he talks about the water, what does the text say he's talking about? Well, it is his Holy Spirit. That after he sacrificed himself on the cross and, and gave of his blood for you and rose again from the dead, when he ascended to heaven, he did so making it very clear that he wasn't going to leave his disciples or his church alone. That he would continue to be present among them and provide for them through his Holy Spirit which he would give to them, and it would guide them until his return. And so during this feast that is about God providing, about his ongoing presence, Jesus is saying that this very feast is about him and uses the feast to pe help people know who he was. Jesus meets our greatest need in life. Through his death on the cross, Jesus saved us from certain death. 
Through his spirit, Jesus is our provider for all that we need on the journey that we are on in our lives. And Jesus is the source of our confidence for our eternal home. And that is where we want to look next. Let's look at this final text from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. Several years after the events that we just read, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote these words. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, in this last passage that I just read, Paul, as a tent maker, uses the analogy of a tent to help paint some pictures of what faith and this journey of life is all about. Now, to be clear, when he's talking about this, he isn't directly, he's not directly addressing the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, but some of those same themes come out when Paul does use this analogy of, of dwelling in a tent. In the broader context of this passage, Paul is talking about our struggles in life. Before the text and during it, he talks about how in this present tent that we find ourselves, we groan and we are burdened. It's an honest assessment of the fact that our bodies are limited and in this world, life is often challenging and a struggle. And you don't need me to tell you that because we all know that. We know it because each and every week we find in our bulletin people whose bodies are not acting the way that they're supposed to act. And they struggle because of that. And, and our prayers uplift them and, and we, we pray for them and we concern for them. But their tent is, is limited. And to be honest, uh, it's not just our, our physical struggles that we have, but it's all the struggles in this life. We struggle with persecution, like Paul did, out of which he's writing these concerns. We, we struggle with broken relationships. We struggle with not 
having what we want. We struggle in the burdens of the consequences of our sin. We, We struggle because life is difficult and we groan and we are burdened. And into those struggles and burdens, Paul writes these words in order to bring you comfort and confidence. And he does so through the analogy of living in a tent. He is reminding us of the fact that we are on a journey. That all of the struggles of this life that we faced are just temporary. And that this is not our permanent home. And while in this tent and while facing these struggles, Paul encourages us with some words of hope. First, he reminds us that although these struggles are very real on this journey, that this life still matters. That's the point of verse 10. He says, we will be judged for what we do in this life. And therefore, the decisions that we make and the way that we conduct ourselves is important. However, in knowing that, the greater confidence is the fact that while we struggle in this life, he wants us to know that we do so with absolute confidence in the fact that we do have a home, a building that is prepared for us, that we are going somewhere, and where we are going is to glory with Christ. Where does that confidence come from? Well, it says in verse 5 that he has given us the Spirit as our guarantee. The Spirit is God's ongoing presence in our lives. The Spirit is the fulfillment of Jesus' promises that as he ascended into heaven, he would not abandon us, but he would provide us with his ongoing presence. The Spirit is our daily guide for how we are called to live as God's redeemed children. And the Spirit is the reminder that just as Jesus rose from the grave, all those who put their faith in him will also be raised up bodily one day to live eternally with him. That is God's ongoing provision and promise for all of you. And that is our source of absolute confidence in him. And therefore, as we look at the Feast of Tabernacles, and we see how it's celebrated for the people that when they left Egypt, they journeyed through a very difficult time. They remembered that through that difficult journey, God provided for them every step of the way. And he was bringing them to his promised land. And that as they celebrated that, what they were really celebrating was the fact that Jesus would come someday and he would be God's presence living among them, Emmanuel, God with us. That he would show them how to live as fully alive God people, is the, the perfect person in Jesus Christ. And that he would provide the way the life, the water that we need in order to secure for us with absolute surety our salvation. And therefore today, as we journey in this life, we can know that as we trust in the Spirit, God will provide for us every step of the way until we are welcomed into our eternal home. 
And so for those of you that struggle right now, or for the rest of you who will in the future, the reminder of this feast, the reminder of what we celebrate on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday is this. You're just on a journey. And though these trials that you face will come, the great hope is that God will never abandon you, that he will provide for you every step of the way, that he loves you and is caring for you, and that when this journey is over, we will join him in eternity forever. What a joyous thing to celebrate. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, uh, in this earth, as you say in your word, we struggle, we groan, we are burdened. And so we place those burdens at your feet today, the God that throughout time has proven over and over again that you do not abandon or forsake us, that you, not, you do not repay us according to our sin, but you, you are a gracious and loving Father, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you for your daily provisions for us. May we recognize them every day and celebrate them. Most importantly, thank you for your presence of your Holy Spirit that guides us, convicts us, and points us. And most importantly, thank you for the confidence that we have that because of your death and resurrection, you have secured for us a place in eternity with you. That we are saved. Thank you for that promise. And may, may the hope of that future glory sustain and carry us during the struggles of this life. May we always cling to you as you continue to provide for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.